Super Talk Mississippi media production. Coleman Taylor Transmission, servicing Central Mississippi for over 60 years. Their ASE certified technicians offer dependable transmission services, a warranty, and record services. Call Coleman Taylor today for all your transmission needs. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes, baby. In a Mississippi minute. Hey, everybody, you and I are about to uh, embark on uh, getting to know a really, really great friend of mine and great mentor in the music business. Uh, really, really learned how to write songs from this guy. Uh, spent a lot of time uh, driving him crazy. We are in a Mississippi minute, and this is Steve Azar. I signed my first publishing deal in Nashville, and we had just built our house in Greenville, Mississippi, my wife and I, and and that's when I got signed of all the times. So she was back working, and I was going every during the week and coming home back uh, back to Greenville, Mississippi. So uh, trying to sell our house. So we were sort of about seven minutes of uh, I mean seven months of this, and so. I remember uh, halfway through that time, I'd written probably about 15, 20 songs, and I was feeling really good about myself, and I was in Memphis, uh, heading back to Greenville, and I turned the radio up, and I heard Tanya Tucker's voice with a song I just had never heard before. And the song was Two Sparrows in a Hurricane, and that's when I said, I've been wasting my last three months because I sure didn't have that. Everybody welcome my good friend, Mark Allen Springer. Oh, uh, what, what an introduction. I didn't know who you were talking about. Yeah, I know. I know you didn't. I know you didn't. Important. <laughs> you are important. Very cool. That was, a, that was a special song, obviously, for me, too. It's kind of like my first, um, my first one kind of first one after five years is that you know how that story goes but yeah um, it's very very cool and and back at you it, it's an honor to be talking to you again obviously uh we've done a lot of things together besides talk on the radio program but that's kind of what got us here i guess huh no, 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 it is. And Mark Mark Allen Springer is uh, one of the most prolific writers in Nashville history and, and written so many great songs that, that you, the listener, have heard, I promise you, multiple times. And we'll get into that in a little bit later. But I do want to take it back to the very beginning. Mark Allen Springer was from Wiener, Arkansas. I just didn't believe there was a Wiener. Of any kind of, especially in Arkansas. And so I, I eventually made him take me there. But before I met Mark, I was with my, my, my first publisher, a guy named Rick Sanchek, who's, whose dad was one of the founders of BMI. So to, 
for everybody to understand what BMI is and CSAC and ASCAP, they are the ones that go out and collect our money uh, when uh, when a song is uh, is doing its thing, and then they you know, and when we get mailbox money. So, um, although it's gotten smaller, and we'll get into that too a little later. But I was uh, with my first publisher, Rick. We met Mark outside one of the studios, and he said, hey, "You know, Steve plays basketball." And so I was thinking, like, you know, who's this guy? You know, Mark Allen Springer. And then I realized, oh, my God, that's the guy that wrote Two Spares in a Hurricane. So I was sort of like, uh, I don't know if I was more excited about getting to go play hoop or talk about this song because it reminded me of a, a so much of a past song that obviously inspired me as well when I was in the office back in New York trying to get a record deal as a kid, and that was uh, Walking in Memphis. So those two songs sort of yeah. sort of stood out in my book as that's how good you got to be. Well, so Mark invited me, Mark Allen invited me to play hoops on Monday. Is it Monday nights, Mark? Is that right? Probably Tuesday nights. Tuesday nights. Okay, so Tuesday nights we'd go into, into Brentwood, right? Yeah. It was a bunch of songwriters, some of them, you know, celebrating things that were going right in their lives, and the rest of us, you know, just, you know, whatever. But Mark was on fire. Then I stepped up and tried to deal with gardening and I realized what the heck is this? This is like, this is like, this guy can flat out play. I don't understand this. I mean, and then, then you started telling me that you had a basketball career and you played at UCA, University of Central Arkansas, and on the bench your freshman year, who hadn't quite grown yet when you were a senior starting guard there, who was on the bench? Well, I don't think he was on the bench. I, I think he was like uh, one of the manager guys, from what I understand. I, I really don't remember all the details, because Scotty Pippen, it was at UCA now. Yeah, I, I, you know, when I transferred to UCA, I'd gotten hurt, and so I, I said my share of the bench too. But um, he wasn't even he wasn't even on the team, from what I understand. I don't remember it, but I do remember that he, he was their towel guy. And right, the towel I, he, guy. He improved, <laughs> he improved a lot, and I did. <laughs> he did. He did improve a lot. He grew a lot. He grew like seven inches. Of some crazy story, uh, he, but you know, what a great asset for that school. You know, a, a great player. Oh, I know, I know, I know. And then get to play next to Jordan all those years. But, but truly, your 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 game was something to to behold. I mean, you get to the rack, you could shoot it from a mile out. You did shoot. A, you actually are the first guy that ever shot the ball more than I did. Than I did. I, and I was sort of like appalled that there would be yeah, anybody we were, that could jack it up more than me. We weren't good to be on the same team. We'd fight over who would take it out. <laughs> and then we wouldn't get it back. <laughs> no, I, you know what? Seriously, that, basketball, of course, I mean, growing up from a small town like that, we didn't have football. We weren't big enough for it to be a football school and and, um, and couldn't play baseball because I worked on a farm. So and that was you know, obviously happened in the summer. So so basketball was kind of my life, and 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 so I, I went to a couple junior colleges and had my sort of a good junior college career, and I really just loved the sport. And still, but but what I'm getting around to is that most of the songs, Steve, you know this, like on that Tuesday night game, uh, we have a lot of artists come out. You know, Chesney would come out. You know, obviously I played in Vince's noon game there at Belmont some too. That's when I met Larry Stewart through there, a mutual friend of ours, but. Uh, Chesty would come out. Um, uh, I took Luke Bryan. You know, I later built the gym here at my place, and because I, you know, was felt pretty comfortable and confident on the basketball floor, it's where I was much more comfortable on the basketball floor than I was behind a guitar because I, I just stumbled through the the music stuff. But but I uh, I was confident. So when I played with those guys, it was pretty easy for me to pitch a song. And so right. I got a lot of songs recorded actually because of basketball. I never knew it would pay off like that. 
We're talking with Mark Allen Springer, hit singer-songwriter, once BMI Songwriter of the Year, which means you're one of the top songwriters, probably two in the world at that given time. And uh, and there's a lot of songwriters out there. So I got the privilege of getting to know Mark Allen uh, and not only that, being mentored by him and uh, being the first guy that would uh, command me to go away and not and not do it like everybody else. So I want to I want to go back to the first time you brought me in to, to meet another great songwriter who was your publisher at the time. It was Roger Murrah. Rob, Roger wrote yeah. Don't Rock the Jukebox with Alan Jackson and Keith Stigall. He wrote I'm in a hurry. He, he you know, so many amazing songs when uh, it was. Uh, uh, Waylon Jennings' autobiography record, he wrote that whole record with him. Roger was amazing. So I walk in, and Mark introduces me. Everybody's all over the place. And then I walk back into Mark's, apparently his writing room office, and I, I couldn't tell you, I couldn't find him because he was so sunk into his chair, this one chair in the corner. I was going, are you all right? And he just looked at me, and he goes, we got to go to the merchandise store. And I went, what the heck is the merchandise store? So this is how I started to really get to know Mark Allen. Besides his greatness on a basketball court, and he was this great writer, this is what made him tick. And so he goes, let's go. So we go to this store. So tell tell everybody, take them through your writing process of taking oh, yourself wow. To the merchandise store and what that was. Well, usually when I was writing a song with someone and the song wasn't going anywhere, probably like it was that day with you and I. Uh, so let's go to the merchandise store. I'm actually just joking there. Um, <laughs> I, I want to say this too before we go for it. You, you had the reason that that I enjoyed being around you and others did because you had an amazing amount of energy which you still have today, and and there was always hope and there was always a positive twist on everything you did, and and th- that just carried forward. To, to everybody around you, I appreciate that. It's fun for me. That's that's what it was. Uh, it was it was such a fun time during those days. But but the merchandise store was was actually just a place where um, I think one of the trucking companies actually owned it. Uh, uh, pretty much sure it's shut down now. And anytime something would you know there'd be a wreck or someone wouldn't accept the the shipment or something, they'd go to that place and they'd write right. down <laughs> pennies on the dollar. And so I, I bought a lot of cool. You stuff were the there. only one with any money, so we'd yeah. watch you shop. Uh, <laughs> I had a, a, a shop full of junk. Uh, yeah, you uh, did there for a while, but but that was um, yeah, that 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 was fun. And I think you know, I probably wasn't really cut out for the music business because I, I really didn't want to sit in that office all day. Cause I was raised on a farm, used to work and get on a tractor and doing right. something. And when you sit in there looking at another person for six or seven hours trying to think of something that rhymes that someone else would care about, you know, it kind of wore on me. So I would have to. Um, that have to. I, I enjoyed getting away from the office and right. whether it's riding the tractor. Uh, you remember you almost died in an accident. Well, we can house. talk about me in the bucket. I flipped the bucket just in time. See, what Mark Allen would do was this. He would, he would when he start after each hit, he would get all of us together to go to the to his farm. And at the time, I had about 17 or 18 acres. He, he, he was acquiring land in Nolensville, Tennessee. And he would get us to work. I mean, there was all sorts. <laughs> First of all, if you wrote for Mark Allen, which eventually I did, you would have to go and you'd have to make sure that you could be pretty dang good on the farm and obviously i was i struggled with that and mark had to deal with it but uh mark allen one time i think that uh you almost lost me correct you had a you had a log in a, in a front end loader a tractor man i think i was on the dozer and uh you lifted that up and, it, and the tractor was fixing to turn over and i think i yelled at you to drop drop it. the bucket yeah and uh, you did and you survived but no uh, 
a great lesson learned. I don't know what we were we were building a pond, we were digging a pond, weren't we? Yeah. I'm Steve Azar. You, yeah, no, no, I know. We're in a Mississippi minute uh, with my good friend, hit songwriter and artist, Mr. Mark Allen Springer. We'll be right back. That's why I'm right here, pray. Lord, I'm right here staring. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. We were just two kids on the corner of Highway 1 and 82. I'm Steve Azar. You and I are listening to my good friend, Mr. Mark Allen Springer, hit songwriter like you won't believe. I remember our good friend who's passed away, A.J. Masters, one of the greatest just people of all time, besides being a great songwriter and artist and musician, just the greatest soul of a man that we ever met. We were together, obviously trying to do what you were doing. And I remember walking in and you were working on That's Why I'm Here, which later became a Kenny Chesney number one. The thing about writing songs is when you walk in the room and one of your friends is just doing it and you know it because you've done it, you've done it so average so long. When you walk into something that you know is great, You just know it's going to work out, especially when you got a little momentum. Mark Allen had a lot of momentum, and so people were dying to hear his next song. And with Mark, he'd take a long time to write them. He he just just didn't want to write uh, 50 songs a year. He wanted to write 10 great ones, uh, which became a huge, huge uh, lesson for me. And while I feel like I started to get it, and with I Don't Have to Be Medial Monday and Waiting on Joe and Sunshine, etc., I started to understand what it was like to let the song come to you. You know, let the song come to me rather than forcing it out. And the great ones write themselves. So we're in there and you played us a verse and chorus and uh, sort of take us through the process of within your own mind when you were on something, Mark, because I, I remember you going, this is something. I mean, I remember you saying that so many times and you were always right. So sort of take us through the mind of your mind as a songwriter, knowing you got something. I think, Steve, it's kind of like um, when you hear a song that, that says something about, that's almost written about you, and you, you, you think, well, how'd that guy know that <laughs> about me? And actually, the song was written about someone else. And, and I think That's Why I'm Here was, was one of those songs that um, I have to give Shay Smith credit because she's another basketball player that, that right. I signed there when I had a publishing company. And that, that song particularly was the first verse that we didn't use out of a song called One Boy, One Girl. We ended up going back to the which was the Colin Ray hit. Yes, and so in two back-to-back meetings uh, sessions, Shay and I wrote um, two number one songs. So that was, but but that being said, I I think that's why I'm here. It just came so naturally, but but it also was um, um, it was something we thought well probably no one would ever record it because it was pretty personal. It was pretty straightforward. It was about a couple of friends of ours actually, and um, probably. that song, particularly one of the, the greatest um, compliments ever got was was people in that situation couldn't believe that we hadn't been in that situation. So we'd written it kind of uh, exactly, and, uh, and that 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 was a lot of that was a special song for us. But but I think you know I, I don't really have a, a musical background. You know, I, I led singing in church. You know, and that's about it. Uh, and always family always sang, but we never were really musically inclined. So that's something I kind of stumbled on, you know, through basketball. Um, but I always listened, and I, I wrote from the perspective of not necessarily a musician, but a, a person that had lived a typical life on a farm. 
uh, when I started writing about things that I knew about, uh, there's a song that Alabama cut called It Works. And it, it's really about my parents, and it's really about. Well, let me let me break music. into this because this is this is my fa- this one of my favorite two songs you ever wrote. After I got to know you, was just the first time I heard. He rattles his glass. She jumps up fast, uh-huh. pours him a glass of tea. Deep in her heart, she believes that's the way it should be, right? And I've yep. seen my dad get fighting mad over one little four letter word. Well, you know, you don't say that around her, right? And they tell you fast, you don't say that around. Her. No. What What's the lyric to the course? Uh, we may not see it the way they see it. We may not do it the way they do it. But she lives her life for him, and he, he gladly died, died for her. her. Even in this modern age, it works. I mean, come and on. It, uh, you know, everybody wants to determine it and tell people how they need to live their lives. And, and you know, we have come from a very uh, conservative family, and and uh, mother did wait. Still does. And ironically, she's eighty three. And he's barely driving a car. Unbelievable! I just yeah. I got I'm cold right now because that is the first lyrics to uh, Two Sparrows in a Hurricane," and uh, and it's funny how you've written yourself into that situation. I've noticed it a lot of times. So, for instance, this radio show in a Mississippi minute. I mean, that song was written a long time ago, right? Yeah, and 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 now it's got a purpose. <laughs> I've written myself into this radio yeah. station at Super Talk Mississippi, and it all started hanging out at the Ole Miss game this year uh, in the Super Talk box because sweet because they have the most fun that we we realize they're the most fun and so we'd stumble in there and go hey uh can we hang out a little bit you know but uh we've got to be friends and one thing led to another and all of a sudden i'm on the other side of the interview which is bizarre but uh by the way you're you're great at it well let's don't get too used to it i'm sure that uh do i have publishing on that yeah you got publishing (laughs) so we can talk about let's we're going to talk about publishing now since you brought it up so for instance with me the best i can explain is this i'd waited my whole life to have a hit mark allen and i had ventured into a publishing company and i finally started to get it he told me to go away quit worrying about being stuck in that i ended up stuck in that same chair because i signed with roger murrah after mark allen went on his own and i noticed me sinking into that same chair and i was going like oh my god i know how he feels this is horrible i can't i can't go in and eat captain crunch and then be dispersed to my room and sink in the chair i literally wrote nothing that i can even remember during that period so but but i can remember this when you started sending me away and I started just to let it come to me. That's when it happened. So Mark Allen and I started a publishing company together. Um, believe it or not, mine was called Mr. Sippy Music. And, uh, and, uh, and Mark, yours was Mass Venture. And right. there was I Don't Have to Be Me on Monday and Waiting on Joe and all this. I was 37 when I had my first hit. So you got to realize I've waited my whole life for this to happen and to be on the road officially with a hit rather than just be on the road and, you know, everybody asking what's going on because I grew up playing live as a kid. So I'm there and all of a sudden the sales aren't exactly what they're supposed to be, although we had a bozo of a record label guy that forgot to put him in Walmart and, you know, ego wild man. But anyway, he made a lot of mistakes, but... Uh, and the good thing about him radio show is I can talk about him a little bit. But the bottom line is uh, I ended up playing all these shows. And I remember being at Rutgers. And I was playing a show. And the bar owner, it was a bar that held about a 1,000 people. And the bar owner goes, I've never seen any of these people. So 
you know, like college kids buy, buy tickets late and they were singing every word to every song. And I was going like, and I'd seen this happening. And he goes, this is a different audience, a different thing. So finally I took up this one guy that goes, hey, you got to come to our apartment. So I said, I'm going to come. So I, we go to his apartment and it looked like ours in college. There was no furniture. There was a beanbag on the floor. We go race it. He goes, come here. I want to show you this. So he shows me his computer, which back then it was new stuff, you know. And on that computer, Mark Allen, well, this is where we're downloading your music. It was from a website called Napster. All of a sudden, I'm going like, these people are downloading music for free, but they're coming to my show, so that's great. You know, I was thinking, and they know all the words to the songs, but there's no sales. And so where it started to affect us was I'd show up in a market, and the promoter didn't know who was showing up because they weren't they, they weren't tickets sold. And, and as any college kid or a young person would buy tickets at the last second because they don't know what they're doing, and then it'd be packed. So it was always this pull and tug of trying to get it right and, and, and get booked in markets. And then we'd we'd sell out, and they'd know their they'd know every word, but they weren't paying for the music. This is where it all started, and where the millennials now, which you know I've got millennials, and you do too, as kids, um, are subscription based people, and they don't understand the effect it had. So after all this, I got I found myself in Washington D.C. as one of the most illegally downloaded records of the year. And, you know, of course, I was asking for like a copper record or something. Is there a color for that? You know, it's not platinum, it's not gold. That's where we are right now and where it's led to. So as a songwriter, as a songwriter who depends on it for their living, sort of tell me how you feel and and where we went sideways there and the effect it's had on so many people. I mean, as you probably know, you know, during that Napster days, I was actually president of the Songwriter Association, and um, we we took a bunch up to, to lobby against Napster, and we actually won a, won a judgment against them. And it was, uh, you know... It, 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 once that had happened, training pretty much left the station and changed, you know, music and the publishing business forever. And which is why you see today, you know, your record labels getting involved in every aspect of the of the artist career, right? Because uh, to recoup their their investment. Um, but it's probably one of the saddest things happened. And, and quite honestly, the um, uh, I think our our government let us down. I don't think our our Government officials realize how important America's music to us to the rest of the world. We're, right. We basically, for a long period of time, gave it away, and we're still giving it away. We're not being protective in it, and um, uh, and and that that's very frustrating because um, I do think we're potentially losing one of America's greatest assets. And um, I felt like even Nashville itself, the music business, country music, was kind of like uh, the redhead stepchild. And I can say that because I have a redhead stepchild. Yeah. Me, so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want anybody to be offended, but but it, but it you know um, they really they really didn't embrace Music City USA didn't embrace country music the way they should have in my judgment, and and so that along and, and so did Washington obviously, uh, but no one really stepped out for us. There were some that tried, but once the public gets something for free, good luck getting that back. Subscription services, you know, pay. I mean, I get checks, and so do you for yeah. two and three cents. Two and three cents. That someone mailed thousands and thousands of plays. If somebody yeah. put a six, nineteen. How much is stamps now? Whatever they are, the they stamp know. costs eighteen, nineteen times more than the check we get. It's the funniest yeah. thing I've ever seen. We're going to take oh, a yeah. break real quick. We're in a Mississippi minute, and I'm Steve Azar. You and I have the fortune to uh, to hear it from the inside. One of the greatest singer songwriters of all time, Mark Allen Springer. We'll be right back. 
You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Steve Azar, on Facebook.com Steve Azar Live, and listen to all my music, Steve Azar and Steve Azar and the King's Men, wherever you download or stream. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Highway one on my way down some fever trail. Eating on an Abe's barbecue outside Clarksdale. Lit Delta Divine, so southernly stained. It was all I could do once she confessed her name was Say Harry Lauren. Hey, I'm Steve Azar. You are in a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. That's how we roll here in Mississippi with Wiener, Arkansas native, the great, prolific hit singer-songwriter Mark Allen Springer, who is in Nashville, Tennessee right now. We've been talking about uh, the state of the songwriter. Imagine you have a finally have a hit song on the radio, and this is the way I sort of envision it now. You have a hit, and it reaches this incredible place on the charts. You have top five record, and finally making some money. You get to continue to do it. What happened in the past is the income after that sort of used to fade off into the right off into the sunset. And now, if you have that song, it falls off a cliff. The more of those you had, the more yeah. you could basically sell your publishing to another company, a big publishing house like EMI or Sony or BMG or whatever, and then or Universal, whatever, and then you could start over. It was called the mechanicals. They, you know, people don't know what mechanicals. Basically, when you used to go on it. Walmart and buy CD. That's a mechanical. We right. paid off that, and that was the mechanical income, which would kind of trickle down for a few years, and that kind of helped you in between hits, and um, it, it really sustained the record labels. So everybody really took a took a big hit um, when all this illegal stuff started happening, and even the you know the digital age. There were deals made early on in the digital age where uh, songwriters almost got left out, pretty much did. It, but but it but it's like the creators of the product, you know, get paid the least. And, you know, that seems a little upside down, but it is what it is. And so that's why you don't see a lot of um, songwriters that have that, that been in it for years and are really professional. They can't afford to stay in that right. business. And that's a shame because it, it, at some point we will um, we will see the, the negative impact uh, from the quality of the music. And we've probably seen it to some degree. Well, and, and I'll say yeah. this too. I don't want to sound like sour grapes because no, no, things no. change. You know, uh, music changes, and and uh, but you still shouldn't leave out the, the creator of the uh, of, of the product, right. That other people are getting enjoy. And, and I think most people that illegally download don't realize what they're doing. They no, no, no. Well, it's now family that's not getting fed. Well, now it's exactly. And so for me, it's like being able to go to a restaurant. This is the best way. And we're not doing sour grapes. It's just sort of like, it's like I'm in awe and shock of where we've come. Um, I'm blessed that I get to tour. You know what I mean? That's such a big deal. And then you have movie soundtracks and all that. So that's sort of, you know, making records and touring off of them. But songwriters that just do that, that are so amazing. You know, I'm a songwriter that tours and makes records. I'm an artist, too. So songwriters that are so brilliant that just all they have, they're the ones really being affected the most. Um, uh, go into a restaurant. Order a great meal. You got this great chef. He cooks you a four-course meal and everything, and then you leave without paying because that's basically what's happening to the songwriter, right? Am I right? It's a pretty good analogy. Yeah, yeah. And you think about it. there are there are some great 
singer songwriters artists that are also songwriters like yourself out there and uh but but you've got folks like uh, uh george Strait. um that really George wasn't, I don't know if George had written anything. Did he no, recorded, I don't think so. But he was an amazing artist, and, and there are plenty of those out there that depended on the songwriter to write it. Right. And they did what they did well, which was sing, and that was okay, because that's, um, but, but now you're almost forced artists that even don't want to write songs into writing because the record label wants them to, so they can get a part of that publishing. So it's, a, it, you know, it, uh, you know, I think it's probably the greed factor, like most everything else, uh, that's why and greed sets in the picture. You you tend to right. You, you lose some credibility and you lose the quality. And that, uh, in my judgment, that's no, no, no. Happens. That's exactly it, can, it. It can't be any, any other way because you know I always I always say that we were the ones that would play for free when we were younger because we loved it. You know what I mean? We love it. I feel like we're not the smartest. You know, person people in the world that we we have such pa- and and what happens is passion gets in the way of of that. And we're and when, farmers. Well, yeah, farmers. exactly. You're, like well, we do it for the right reason. We do it for the right so reasons. <laughs> right. Well, now they're now the farmers really being lifted up, and I love it because there's farm to table. There's so maybe it's going to be the song to the table again at some point. But well, it, it, what really hit home to me recently is I was watching Kathy Lee Gifford, and I, I saw her say, "You can download this for free, uh, this song." And I was, and she was like so adamant, like everything's okay. And I'm going like, "Well, Kathy Lee, can you can can we listen to? You? Are you going to?" you working today for free, you know? So anyway, and I'm not bitter at all either. I'm just saying this is the way it is now. And we as an entertainment industry and as singer songwriters and everything have to figure out how to adapt and overcome and improvise. And that's sort of where we're at. We're with Mark Allen Springer. You're in a Mississippi minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. I'm just going to name some of Mark Allen's hits because until you sit next to him and do the singer songwriter thing, you realize that you're, I'm pretty inept compared to him. All I need to know can Chesney number one song. Grandpa told me so. It works. One boy, one girl. Thank God for believers. That's why I'm here. Two sparrows in a hurricane. When I close my eyes and where corn don't grow are some of Mark Allen's hits. When I close my eyes, I heard that song pitched for three years and I wanted to go in there and stab whoever was pitching it. And Roger Murrah, the publisher at the time we've talked about, told me this. That's a hit song and we're going to keep pitching it until it gets cut. Well, our, our buddy Larry Stewart, who was with Restless Heart, could sing the phone book backwards as one of the greatest voices of all time. Larry finally cut it. I remember him being there. And I wasn't a great friend of Larry's at the time at all. I'd, I'd played uh, golf against him, and, and we really became friends later. But but I remember going like, Thank, hey, Roger goes, yeah, hey, it's cut now. And you weren't there, Mark, because you were gone already and doing your own thing. And so I remember going like, I, if I hear that song one more time, I'm just going to die. And so there I was sunk in that chair, you know, hearing that song. And finally he goes, it got cut. And I said, thank the Lord. I don't have to hear that song ever again. So it gets on Larry's record. But they don't release it as a single, and all of a sudden I come in six months later, and there it is again. And thank goodness yeah. Kenny Chesney's people came in, and Kenny, because he heard it, and he cut it, made it number one, and I didn't have to hear it again. So uh, that's sort of where I because it was hard to focus, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, yeah you but, know, that was Ken, Kenny's first number one. It was uh, Kenny's first number one. Yeah. Well, you know, I kind of got tired of it myself, but, <laughs> um, but, but probably not as, hard, as tired as you did. No, no, uh, yeah, no, that's that, fine. I'm joking. Uh, and you know, an interesting thing about us, Larry and him called me from the studio, Larry Stewart. There was a line in there that, that he just really didn't like, uh, and, and they thought it was going to be a big hit, so they wanted to get it right because he felt like he'd be singing it for the next, you know, 30 years of his career. Right. 
and I changed the line. It's a different, I, I forget which line it was. It's a different one than the Chesney version, but, but, um, we thought, you know, Larry had a great cut on it too. And, and oh, it was I, great. And, but it just, you know, how things work out. And, and an interesting thing for those of you out there that are songwriters, uh, where Corn Don't Grow was eight years old when it became a hit, and so was when I closed my eyes. So, yeah. It, it, it's easy to get frustrated thinking, well, no one's ever going to like this song, but um, sometimes they, they they live a life. Hard times are real. There's dusty fields wherever you go, and you might change your mind because the weeds are high where corn don't grow, and that's Mark Allen Spring. That, that, that to me, represents everything you are to me, uh, and, and growing up and fighting the farm sort of as a young kid, playing hoops. You know, I, I sort of know you when I hear that song. Travis Tritt did a great job, but and I love Travis. He's a great guy, but he doesn't sing in nearly as good as you, and I've been uh, next to you. So there's something about the singer-songwriter. First of all, songwriters are mostly nuts. You know what I mean? They're like, they're eccentric, and, and you're the most eccentric redneck I've ever met in my entire life, and I, and I <laughs> right? And so to sit next to songwriters, do their thing, personality-wise, it stands out. It shines. And when you hear a songwriter sing the song that they wrote that came from their soul and their gut, it just takes on another dimension. And and, and that's a big deal in Nashville and at the Bluebird Cafe and places like that. People want to hear the songwriter do it. You know, tell the story behind the song. And, you know, I've obviously been privileged enough to be next to you and do it and be humbled constantly. You know, there's something that your granddad tell you a story, or, and you can retell it, but it's still not the story that your granddad told. It's still more special. And that, I think that's why the songwriter's version is pretty special, because it's coming right straight from his heart. You no, that, I love that. that. We're talking to Mark <laughs> Allen Springer, prolific songwriter, and really actually as good a basketball player. I think that he, he would have had his time. Man can shoot lights out. We're talking to Mark, and uh, hey, Mark, okay, I want you to take us in the break. You're going to tell me... This being Mississippi being the birthplace of American music, which it is. Don't be talking about Arkansas right now, although I know there's been incredible artists. Yeah. We are the birthplace. Yeah. We're going to stake claim. Would you like to hear uh, Paul Davis or Paul Overstreet? Um, you know, I've, I've heard Paul Overstreet a lot, so I'd like to hear Paul Davis. Okay, all right, that's what we're going to do. This is Steve Azar. You are listening to In a Mississippi Minute uh, with the great Mark Allen Springer, hit singer-songwriter from Wiener, Arkansas. We'll be right back. No, it just ain't true I go crazy When I look in your eyes I still go crazy That old flame comes alive In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar Right here on Super Talk Mississippi I'm Steve Azar. You and I have the pleasure of hanging out in a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, with my mentor, Mark Allen Springer, hit singer-songwriter, amazing, amazing songwriter. Taught me almost everything I know, but not everything. Mark can play basketball better than I can, but he cannot. You know, the golf course is a different scenario. You can play golf fairly well. i got to give it that. <laughs> no, not lately. And I've gotten better. For what it's worth, I'm better. I can probably well, take I'm not going to play, ever play you again. So I came home to the Greenville Golf and Country Club, and everybody thinks I could never play. I get pounded by so many of them, and it's just a hard golf course for me. And, and, so, and I also don't play like I used to. My kids started growing up. I wanted to watch Adrian play basketball, not me, yep. you know, and so, and you know, we, you know, that I didn't, I didn't care about practicing golf. I was hitting balls all the time back then. The kids were younger. It became more important to see our children 
uh, do those things and a bigger thrill. You've been that way too. You've got three girls, correct, and a son. Right. You're young. Exactly. You're. Yeah. You, I'm sorry. Your younger daughter. Well, stepdaughter. And a stepdaughter. Okay. So your younger daughter is a guard. At is she still in college? Actually, yes. Yeah, she's in Florida College. She's actually having to play post. They've had some players suspended. She's she, pretty tall, so they moved her from guard down to post. That's no fun. That's not fun at yeah. all. Yeah. Does she yeah, still get to jack right. up the threes? Is that all right? Yeah. She does. She does. Real proud of her. Yeah. Now, what about your your son? Now, so how how is the hoops looking for him? Have a six year six year old, and we start our season. Uh, his mom and I coach him, and uh, at Columbia Academy here in in, um, in Tennessee, and he's um. It looks like he's going to be an athlete, so we're trying to just hold him back for a while because we realize that once you start all the travel stuff, you know, you're 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 home for about 12 years, running on the road, running all around uh, the country. So um, we're kind of taking it slow with him. He loves football, probably more than basketball. He's the doctor says he's going to be six four, six five. So can uh, we invest? Is there? Can I invest? Is yeah, there? You know, really, invest right now. Get in, uh, get in while I can. We'll get in cheap. Yeah. <laughs> but he's, you know, at my age, having a six-year-old uh, challenge anyway. So uh, he's going to keep me young or kill me. But we'll yeah, see how that turns out. <laughs> That's our next song. <laughs> and what, as you would say, yeah, you go write that, right? <laughs> yeah. Let me know. <laughs> what was what was the thing saying? Uh, uh, you, if you don't, if you tell me, you don't tell me a good line, I'm going to cut you. Uh, Roger yeah, used to yeah. that. Uh, uh, let's talk about this because what's his first name? Knox. Knox. Springer. So we're going to be watching Knox Springer in the next uh, 12 years. He'll be starting for a Division One school, hopefully in Mississippi, and um, or actually, you know, somewhere like that, or uh, or maybe playing at uh, at Kentucky is really what you probably want him to do. Um, well, he said he's going to play uh, football in Alabama, so we got a little bit of work to do on him. He, he's probably we can fix that. Answer. We can fix that. You know, I got a good friend, Corey Miller, who uh, played for the Giants. He was next to Lawrence Taylor for 10 years. His son yeah. is the starting linebacker at uh, Alabama, and he's obviously got a, you know, and in the middle of having a lot of fun. He tore his bicep the first game, and he he missed most of the season, but he's been back since the Auburn game. And, and I love watching Corey say the same thing. They're not bad. No, they're not bad. And watching, and and he's and and Christian Miller's a big boy. He's number forty-seven, and uh, and he and Corey says it's nothing better than watching it. You know, you get more nervous, you get more antsy, and and you know anticipate these things. But uh, just watching your child succeed, there's just there's just nothing better. And so, I love I love that about you. And you've always been that guy. You've always preached, and I, and I love how sports has molded who you became and you and I always say this that sports for me taught me how not only you win every once in a while but it taught you how to handle losing because we got the stew beat out of us in the music business for so many years you know and you got to understand how to handle losing all right real quick what are you doing right now tell everybody what you're doing who you're working with because I know you're working with a great male artist and uh and I, I want to hear about that before we hit the road I'm working with one guy from upstate New York, a guy named Blaine Holcomb. He's a real country. You know, I didn't know there were country people up there, but yeah, upstate they're everywhere. New York's a lot of rural yeah. areas. Yeah. He's a really good country singer. And then there's a guy from Arkansas that actually was a quarterback at Tulsa and was actually Tyler Wilson's Yeah, uh, met him at Delta State. Nephew. Yeah, uh, and um, uh, uh, he's a real talented talented kid, and, and I'm working with him. I'm going to probably cut some sides on him. He, I mean, we publish him. So um, uh, that, that's kind of helping get me back energy kind of like you did um, yeah and that when seeing it through someone else is pretty cool and seeing someone else kind of learn from the same things but the same things i did 
uh, and being able to kind of pass that along is, is kind of, like the, I guess, the coaching side of me. And, right. And I'll mention it because a guy that was pretty important to both of us, we mentioned Roger Murray was a great publisher, a great, yeah, a great editor. And I still see Roger from time to time and write with. Actually, he and I are writing with Tanya Tucker's uh, son, Grayson, um, Thursday. Wow. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, it's been a great, just been so great to catch up. And obviously you and I, we can only talk about things that are radio friendly, but, um, but I I do, I love it. This is actually what we always talk about. And uh, I love you, brother. We have been on the phone uh, with the great Mark Allen Springer. So many great hit songs. Uh, That man uh, poured out of his soul. And, and his gut, and uh, you have been in a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. Thanks a whole lot, Mark Allen, for uh, stopping by and, and spending an hour with us. Hey, brother, love you. Thanks for having me. Love you too, back. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.